0: Good morning, everyone. My name is Kyle, and I just want to say it's really good to be with you today. In fact, for me, I just kind of need to take a breath and breathe for a moment and soak this moment up. It's been quite a week in my world this week. I don't know what your world's been like, but, uh, man, I've experienced a lot of good things happening this week, and I've experienced a lot of bad things happening this week, and it's just good to be with our church today and to worship with you and to get into God's word with you, and so... For me, I'm just kind of breathing in this moment. Um, When we came in this morning, a lot of you asked me if I went to get pancakes this morning. Um, In case you don't know, there's an incredible thing happening this morning across the street in our Family Life Center. Um, They're serving pancakes, and it's working as an opportunity for you to give um, gifts and offerings towards the Westbrook family. Um, Little Zane, um, he is going to get a kidney from his dad, uh, not this week, but next. It's an incredible thing. And so, yeah, you can celebrate that. It's awesome. And so uh, we want to be praying for them, and if you want to give towards just being um, a help to their family right now, because it's going to be a very uh, trying time for them financially, you can do that, so you can get some pancakes. But I said, no, I didn't have pancakes, because in my opinion, pancakes and preaching really don't go well together. In fact, I think pancakes and naps go well together, so I'm a little concerned about those of you that just came back from eating pancakes, So if you do your dead-level best after going over there to stay focused this morning, I'd really appreciate it. And um, if you missed it earlier, I think that they're serving to like 11 or something like that today. And so you can get over there, and it'll be a great time of just supporting uh, that family. Well, hey, we are in week three of our series. There's grace for that. And um, as a result of this series, uh, several of you this week told me that you've been washing behind your ears. I think that's absolutely awesome. If you weren't here last week, you probably have no idea what that's about. But more importantly, a lot of you have been telling us that you've been wrestling with thinking about and dwelling on this incredible, hard-to-believe, amazing thing called grace. And that's exactly where we want you. We want you thinking about, we want you dwelling on, we want you wrestling. More importantly, we want you living in this incredible thing called grace. Um, last week, I know I said some things that for some people, it made you very tense. It made you uh, kind of straighten up just a little bit and wonder what was being said and how to process it, and I'm totally okay with that. I'm glad you came back this week as we continue this uh, conversation today as we talk more about grace. Here's what we hope in all of this. Here's what we hope. We hope that if you have been saved by The grace of God through Jesus Christ, we pray that you will know, and the Bible teaches that you can know this. We pray that you will know that you have been saved and that you are secure in Jesus and you will live in this grace that you've received in him. On the other end of that, we want you, if you have not been saved, to know that you have not been saved, to know that there's never come a point in your life where you've repented of your sin and you've placed your faith in Christ and that all of this will lead to you experiencing God's grace that he gives to us through Jesus Christ. That's what we want for you. But before we dive in today, um, I just want to say to you, and I don't know who all this is going to land on, but I think there's going to be quite a few people in the room now and at 1045 that need to hear this. No matter what you have done, no matter how bad that you have blown it, No matter how far you have gone away, there is grace for you. If you are living and breathing right now, you are experiencing the grace of God, and he wants to pour more of that grace out on you regardless of what you have, and I'll even say have not done. You have not reached the point of no return You have not reached the point where you have run out of God's grace. It is still available to you today, and I want you to know that. And I want you to know that this church, this is a place of grace. This is a place of grace. When you come in here, you are going to hear, feel, and experience grace because this is a place where we lift up Jesus above every other name. And as we've been talking about, grace is not some principle. Grace is a person, and grace truly is personified fully in Jesus Christ. So when you think about grace, you, you've, you've got to think about, picture, look at, listen, and learn from Jesus because he is the full expression of God's grace. In fact, the scripture teaches that he is full of grace and that he is full of truth. And so if I need to experience truth, if I need to experience grace, I can always, always know that I'm going to receive it from Jesus because that is who he is. That's who he is. So in week one, we talked about this incredible truth that we are saved. Why we say saved is meaning uh, that we've been rescued from the place that we were stuck in our sin and that we've been forgiven and put in a new position in Jesus Christ. So uh, saying saved, that's what we mean. In week one, we learned that we are saved by God's grace. Last week we learned, remembered, refreshed our hearts on this truth that we are kept saved, that we stay saved by God's grace. And listen, that, that should cause you to celebrate. We've been saved by his grace, and we are kept by his grace. Listen, if it's not by his grace, I'm done. I'm out. I'm finished. There's no hope for me. And I would say the same is true for you. But he gives us this incredible thing of grace, and he rescues us, and he saves us, and he keeps us that way because he's so, so good. And today, what we want to talk about is how that our good works flow out of this grace of God and how that our good works, that there's grace for that. In other words, the good that we do, okay, believers, save people, the good that we do after we come to know Jesus actually flows out of the experience that we are continuing to experience in the grace of God. So when you do good, you are showing forth the grace that you have and are continuing to experience. And as we think about that, I want us to look again at Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to be in verse number 8. If you need a Bible, there should be a black one um, somewhere underneath the seat in front of you. I'd love for you to grab one of those, and we're going to be on page number 978. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. The last couple weeks, we've looked at verse 8, and we've looked at verse 9. And today, we want to extend that and look at verse 10 as well. And look at a couple more passages this morning to help uh, God just to speak this truth over us today of his grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. God saved you. So y'all help me out a little participate here a little bit so we don't miss this. Who saved you? God saved you. You didn't save you. They didn't save you. He saved you. Okay, so if you're saved today, you've been saved by God. Okay, you didn't do it. You didn't achieve it. He's going to go on to clarify that very clearly. God saved you by his grace. God saved you by his what? It's grace. This is God giving you something that you don't deserve. You can call it his unmerited favor. There's so many other ways that you can describe it. This is God giving you this thing called salvation, and you don't deserve it. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to us anyway. And then it goes on to say God saved you by his grace when you believe. So according to this verse, what did you do to become a rescued, a saved person? What did you do? You believed. You placed your faith. You placed your trust. And again, for this conversation, belief, faith, trust, we're making them all one and the same for this conversation, just to be clear. We're saying, you know what, I'm depending on someone else to do something for me that I cannot do for myself, and that's what we do in salvation. We trust in God to do something for us that we cannot do ourselves. We trust him to get us out of our sin and to place us into a new position of being a son to be a daughter of his, and he does it all through his grace. And again, grace is not just an idea. It's not just a teaching. It's not just a principle. It's a person. So it all comes through Jesus Christ. Again, verse number eight. um, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you, me, we can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Verse nine, just to make sure we get this really clearly, he says it again. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us... Can boast about it. And now, verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Some of you may be looking at a different translation that says workmanship. Both of them are beautiful words, meaning ultimately one and the same. You, as a saved individual, are a masterpiece that God has orchestrated and created and made. We are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Let me give this big idea this morning and we'll come back to verse number 10 and talk about this masterpiece thing just a little bit more because it's so important. We were saved for good works, not by good works. We were saved for good works. Not by good works. Okay? Yes, we are supposed to do good, (laughs) but we don't do good to earn God's favor. We do good because we've experienced God's favor. We don't do good to show, uh, or excuse me, to earn our place with God. We do good to show our place with God. We do it to reveal to others what we've experienced in Jesus Christ. And so if you're doing good things today as a person who doesn't know Jesus, uh, great, wonderful, awesome, but they're not counting for you to get into heaven. It's just not the way it works. In fact, you're going to wear yourself out trying, and it's going to come up empty If you're a saved individual and you think that you're doing good things to prove how valuable you are, you're missing this completely. You don't do it to prove anything. You do it to show forth who you really are in Jesus Christ. We were saved by grace, not by our good works. So with that being said, look back at verse number 10. For we are God's masterpiece. Let that word flood over you for just a moment, masterpiece. And I don't know what you think about when you think about masterpiece, but we are talking about ultimately this fine, incredible work of art. We're talking about this creation that was done at the hands of someone that makes everybody else go, wow. Me and I, you and I being God's masterpiece, it's the result of God's saving work in our life. I'm a masterpiece not because I'm good. I'm a masterpiece because of the good one who has made me, who has made me new in Jesus. You've been skillfully and art, artfully made, remade, if you will, in Jesus Christ. And so the Bible declares this is who you are now. You are a masterpiece. When's the last time you walked around thinking, man, I'm a masterpiece? I think a lot of us walk around thinking, man, I'm a piece of work. Right? Right? When's the last time you thought of yourself as a masterpiece? Now, listen, you can't think of yourself that way because you've done this or you've done that or you've accomplished this or you've accomplished that. The only way that we can biblically and rightfully think of ourselves this way is to realize what God has done in me, for me, and through me, and on me. This is God's work, okay? The piece of art doesn't get to declare how wonderful it is, right? It just doesn't. The Rembrandt, right? It doesn't say to the world, look how wonderful I am. The Rembrandt is a Rembrandt because of Rembrandt. You're a masterpiece because the master builder is the one who has created you, the one who has artfully made you into becoming who he wants you to be anew in Christ Jesus. You are God's masterpiece. Some of you desperately need to hear this this morning because you need to understand your value declared by God over you in Jesus Christ. Some of you don't think you're worth anything. Some of you think, yeah, I I blew it here and I blew it there and so I'm absolutely worth nothing. And you need to understand that according to God and his view of you, He he declares you a masterpiece. Something that has infinite value in his eyes something that he cannot nor will not put a price tag on, yet he will pay the ultimate price for. Listen, here's how much God paid for you. The death of his one and only son, Jesus. That's how much he says you're worth to him. And so when he declares you a masterpiece, he's saying, I paid my one and only son for you. And now, because of what I've done in you through his death and his work on the cross and his resurrection I'm declaring you a masterpiece. Listen to me. You're a masterpiece. You're God's masterpiece. This is who you are now, saved people. Oh, how valuable you are in Christ Jesus. And I don't know how you've been thinking of yourself lately. And this is not about you thinking more of yourself. This is about you understanding more about how God thinks of you. Okay? And God says that you're his masterpiece. God says that you have value. God says that you're his prized creation. Again, you're God's masterpiece. Whose masterpiece? You're God's masterpiece. This is the point, right? God did it. He thought it out. He planned it out. He acted upon it. He designed. He crafted. He created. He made you and made you new when you came to the place of faith in placing your trust in Jesus Christ and experiencing his grace. This idea of masterpiece here and Him recreating you and remaking you into who He originally intended you to be is God showing forth His fullest and greatest and most creative powers ever. I mean, we think about God speaking and the world coming to existence. Let there be day and let there be night and all these incredible things that we see in Genesis. Listen, the most grand piece of his creation is you being made new in Jesus. Maybe y'all are hearing that for the first time. Maybe you don't know if that's true or not. You... Are God's most grand prized piece of creation having been made new in Christ Jesus? More amazing than Him speaking the world into existence is Him bringing you out of your sin, forgiving you, and making you righteous in Christ, and giving you a position as a son or daughter of His. He says, You're His masterpiece. You're His masterpiece. Listen, when God saved you, he didn't like mildly save you. He didn't like kind of, sort of save you. He like saved you and rescued you fully. This is his work. This is what he does. This is what he loves to do. It's the reason why he gave his one and only son, Jesus. And so he's the master builder creating these masterpieces. And the master builder gets to decide what the masterpiece looks like. The master builder gets to decide what the masterpiece's purpose is. And this is true for you. As his masterpiece, the master builder, God, has determined some things for you, has decided some things for you, has shaped some things for you to accomplish and to do. Again, verse number 10. It says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So... So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God's got hopes for you and dreams for you and plans for you. And the way he accomplishes all of that is through his salvation and the ongoing grace that flows out of that as his masterpiece. Now, I'm not a builder. It's not my thing. I just, it's not how I'm really wired up. I've tried to do a few things in my life. It's nothing great. Some of you in this room, you're great. So uh, we'll just let you be the builder this morning. But let's just say you're the builder. And you build a birdhouse, okay? You build a birdhouse. And as the builder, you built this birdhouse to house what? Birds, right? As the birdhouse, what do you get to do? You get to be a birdhouse and you get to house birds. What if the birdhouse says, I don't want to be a birdhouse. I want to be a doghouse. In fact, I'm declaring myself no longer a birdhouse. I'm declaring myself now a doghouse. Does a birdhouse get to do that? You're like, wait a minute. Can birdhouses talk? Do you see what we just did right there? Maybe, just maybe, we put ourselves in a position to declare things about ourselves that we're not capable of doing. When the master builder declares you something and what your purpose for, you don't get to like say, well, you know, I think I'm gonna change my mind and I'm gonna do what I wanna do. No, the master builder gets to determine what the masterpiece is. He calls you his masterpiece and he's got plans for you and he's got a purpose for you and we're here to carry it out. God saved you. For good works. He saved you and he has incredible plans for you. Last month we talked about vision and we talked about God showing you and showing me what he wants for our life and what he wants to accomplish and and what he wants to do. Listen, all of this factors into this whole vision thing. Okay, Your salvation, like you're rescuing out of your sin and experiencing grace, is the beginning of God carrying out a vision in your life. And He saved you to do good things. He saved you to do wonderful things. Being that father that you're supposed to be, listen to me, there's grace for that. That's why Jesus saved you. Being that husband that you're supposed to be, there's grace for that. And this is why Jesus saved you. Being that mom that you desire to be, there's grace for that, and it's why Jesus saved you. Being that friend that you want to be and hope to be and you're supposed to be, there's grace for that. And it's why Jesus saved you. Being whatever it is that he intends for you to be, it's the very reason why he saved you and rescued you. It's to become everything that he intended you to be and to accomplish everything that he wanted you to accomplish. I think a lot of us, a lot of us, a lot of us find ourselves thinking there is grace. Let me just say, I think a lot of us in this room think there's grace for me to pray a prayer. And receive salvation, and then from then on, it's on me. From then on, it's on me to become like Jesus. From then on, it's on me to live differently. From then on, it's on me to do good works. And I'm here to tell you, it all, it all, it all, it all, it all is through grace. You're being saved is through grace. You're staying saved is through grace. And you're living like Jesus. You're doing your good works. It is through grace. It is through grace. It all flows out of his grace and this master builder creating these masterpieces. You are his masterpiece. He's changed you. He's saved you. He's redirected you. He's recreated you. He's repurposed you. This one's going to freak a few of you out. He's re-identified you. He doesn't call you a sinner anymore. He calls you a saint now. like, wait a minute. Is that true? Read the scripture. Find me a time when the scripture calls believers sinners. He calls them saints over and over and over again. That's what he does. Speaking of changing and talking about grace and seeing it in Jesus, look at John chapter 8 with me. John chapter 8. This is one of those stories that uh, I've read quite a few times and you're probably somewhat vaguely familiar with. It's shocking. I'll just go ahead and tell you it's shocking. But it's incredible because it is a pure, um, unfiltered version of God's grace. John chapter 8 and verse number 1 says, so Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, and so Jesus is literally living here amongst people like you and I, okay? Jesus is God's son. He's lived forever. He had no beginning. He came here to earth by being born of a virgin, and then he lived here amongst people like you and I, flesh and blood, okay? So that's what he's doing in John chapter eight. So he's moving around. He goes back to the Mount of Olives, verse two. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. This will be the place where the Jewish people would come to worship God. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. And so Jesus begins to do kind of what I'm doing, but doing it way better, and he's sitting down. Verse 3. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees pause for just a moment. These are the ultimate rule keepers. We talked about rule keepers a couple of weeks ago. These guys are the rule keepers. These guys are the rule makers. These are the guys who make sure that everybody else is keeping the rules. Rules, rules, rules is what they are all about. It says that as he was teaching, uh, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, I think everybody in the room uh, probably knows what the word adultery means. It means to have a physical interaction of sexual activity between at least one person who is married and one person they are not married to. Okay? And in case you didn't know, it's wrong. Just make sure you know. Some people don't know this, and I'm saying that with like, like, Kindness towards you. Some people don't know. You need to know this. It's wrong. So they bring this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Verse 4. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 5. The law of Moses says to stone her, and in case you're wondering if they're correct or not, They were right. They were so right, but they were so wrong. And it says, what do you say? Anybody else besides me just like, where's the dude? Why just her? Like if she was in this activity, she's not alone, right? Like you can't do that by yourself. You just can't. For whatever reason, And and another question, how did they catch her? How did they, it says they caught her in the act. Fishy, right? What's going on? What are these rule keepers up to? And they say to Jesus, what do you say? It's a setup is what it is. They're setting Jesus up. Here's the law. Here's what she's done. We know we're right. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to carry this out? We're supposed to stone her. What do you say? Verse 6. They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. They they hated Jesus. They just hated him uh, because of a lot of reasons, but ultimately because Jesus seemingly wasn't about their rules. Now, we talked about this the other day. Jesus completely followed what the Father told him to do, and he did it perfectly. He kept the law, but these guys didn't just want to keep the law, they wanted to keep the laws about the laws about the laws that they had created, and so they were really upset with Jesus because he was messing up their whole religious deal. Again, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Do you see what's happening? He's ignoring them. Verse number seven that makes you all happy when somebody ignores you, right? They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right. So let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Normally this is a mic drop, but in this instance this will be a rock drop, right? They're ready to stone him. Seemingly they are holding stones in their hands and they are ready to do it. And he says, hey, whoever, like, hasn't sinned, like, you just just go ahead. You do that. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. Verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I've often wondered, what was he doodling in the dirt? Was he drawing pictures? Was he writing words? What did he write? Here's my conclusion. I don't know. There's a lot of thoughts out there. Some people would suggest that he was writing down the names of the accusers. That potentially these rule keepers, these law dogs, if you will, he was writing their names down. Maybe. Some would suggest that that's what he did the first time in writing in the dust and then the second time that he chose to out beside their name begin listing out some sins that they had in their life. Maybe. Maybe. He could have, he knows everything. I don't know what he was writing, but here's what I know. Jesus was willing to get dirty and willing to get messy. And let me tell you something, grace is always messy. And grace is always willing to get into the middle of the mess. And so I just want to tell you, grace is always, is always messy. It's the reason why it makes you so uncomfortable. But let's face it. We want grace when we're in the mess, right? We like grace when we're the ones in the mess. We're for grace when we're the ones that have messed up. But when it's somebody else, eh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I want to get dirty or not. Grace becomes an option at that point. But Jesus, he gets messy. Grace gets in the dirt with the people. Uh, Let me just say this to you, church. I hope that this church is a church that's willing to get in the dirt. I hope this is a place that we are willing to get messy for the sake of grace, for the sake of people. Do you see what's happening with these religious guys? They only cared about the rules, and they didn't care about relationships. They only cared about their laws, and they didn't care about people. They could care less about this woman who's about to be stoned to death. All they cared about was carrying out their rules. They followed it up by not caring about Jesus and treating him the way that they treated him and ultimately crucifying him. They had rocks in their pockets. I don't know if you came in this morning by chance with rocks in your pockets, but I hope you don't leave here with rocks in your pockets. I hope you drop them on the ground. This is not a place where people need to get stoned. This is not a place where people need to get pelted. This is a place where people need to experience the life-changing grace of Jesus. And church, would you please help me out and say amen or something right there, because it's what we got to be. Check out verse number 10. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, remember I mean, these guys are gone now. They dropped the rocks, they walked off, and Jesus speaks to the woman. He said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Look at her reply in verse number 11. It's two words, but it's huge, where she says no, and then what does she follow it up? She says no, and then she says what? Lord. It's a big deal in this moment. She calls him Lord. I don't know if you know this or not, but like in scripture, it tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, rescued, made different, changed, experience God's grace. And she says, No. And she says, Lord. And look what it goes on to say in verse number 11 as Jesus replies. He says, Neither do I. I don't condemn you. This is Jesus declaring forgiveness over this woman. Well, who is he to declare forgiveness over her? The Son of God, the perfect one, the one who has the power to declare this type of life-altering forgiveness. That's who's saying, neither do I. Now, if I was the one doodling in the dirt, and I was the one saying this, it could have meaning, it could have purpose, but I don't have that kind of power, only Jesus does. And Jesus declares, neither do I. And so he extends to her this grace-filled forgiveness that all of us long for. Many of us in this room have experienced and we should be forever, forever grateful for. Whether you're caught lying about not washing behind your ears or whether you're caught in adultery. This is what we all long for, is for Jesus, the Son of God who is perfect, to declare his grace and forgiveness over us. And this is what she's experiencing in this moment. And so Jesus, in his grace, forgives her. Jesus, in his grace, rescues her. This is why the gospel of grace is so good. It's also why the gospel of grace freaks people out, because the gospel of grace is for bad people. And there's some of us that we've been trying long enough and doing our church thing long enough and doing our good thing long enough that we've convinced ourselves that we're good because we're good. And so when somebody bad comes along, we're like, hey, they don't deserve that. Neither did you. Neither did you. The gospel of grace is so good because it's for bad people. The word declares that all have sinned, that includes you. Oh, my goodness, shocker, right? You're like, oh, oh, it's been so long, not me. All have sinned, and we don't stand up to God's standard. We just don't meet the standard of perfection. We just don't. We just can't. And so we've got to have a savior, we've got to have a rescuer. And so Jesus comes in and he ushers in grace like no one ever has before and like no one ever could. And he says these words to this woman, I don't condemn you, I forgive you, I bring forgiveness to you. It's a moment in her life that is forever changing for her to go from being stoned to death to rather being let off the hook. Yes, let off the hook. And forgiven. Do you know that's what the word forgive literally means? It means to be let off the hook. Well, there's some people that just don't deserve to be let off the hook, right? Guess who that is? All of us. And he forgives her because of his grace. Jesus in his grace forgives her. And notice the last part of the verse, how Jesus in his grace changes her. Look what he says. Go and sin no more. Whoa he just said I don't condemn you and I forgive you who has the power to do that well who has the power to follow it up with saying this go and sin no more Like she thought she wasn't even going to get up from this episode, right? She thought this was her end. Now this man named Jesus is extending forgiveness to her. And now he is redirecting her, repurposing her, recreating her, redeeming her, re-identifying her. And she's going to be able to get up as a woman who was caught in the act of adultery as a forgiven woman who Jesus says, Now you are my, catch it. Masterpiece. Masterpiece. This is what he's declaring over this woman. You're my masterpiece. I'm doing something in you that no one else can do, and I'm giving you my very best, and it's called my grace, and it's going to change you. It's going to forever change you. How you think of yourself, how other people hopefully think of you if they see me, it's going to change everything about you. He's saying to the woman, I got plans for you, for you to live a different life now. Plans for you to live differently. Plans for you to live in a way that pleases the Father. Plans for you to do things that you haven't been able to pull off till now, but I'm telling you that because of my grace and my presence, you can do now. This is the life change that Jesus brings in salvation. Check this out on the screen. Got this uh, idea I want to throw it your way. Listen to me. If you receive grace, more will change than your eternal destination. Some of you that are here last week and can breathe easier now, right? okay, I just didn't know really where we were going with this thing last week. I just didn't know. Listen to me. If you receive grace, and I'm talking about the grace of the Bible, whose name is Jesus, more will change than your eternal destination. And some of you that potentially got so tense last week, I would suggest to you that you have limited God's grace in your life to a get out of hell free card and salvation and grace is so much more than that. So much more than that. God didn't just say, I forgive you, no big deal, go back to doing what you were doing. No, he said, I don't condemn you, I forgive you, go and sin no more. I'm changing where you're headed forever and I'm changing where you're going tonight. If you receive grace... More will change than your eternal destination. And so I've just got to put it to you right now. Like if you say that you've experienced grace and salvation. And you are just simply continuing to live life for yourself. Have you experienced God's grace? And I am not by any means trying to lead anybody in our church towards doubt. I'm trying to lead you towards assurance. And I talked about my battle with doubt last week, and yours may look different. But listen, it's not about all of that. It's about whether or not I have been saved by God's grace and he is changing me as a result of it, or whether I have not been changed by God's grace and I need to be changed by God's grace. Again, if you receive grace, more will change than your eternal destination. Your, your desires will change. Your attitude will change. Your purpose will change. Your identity will, it will change. And I just want to go ahead and say this before we read this next passage that I'm going to read. I really want you to come back next week because it's church, but I really want you to come back next week because we're going to talk about guilt next week. And I'm just going to like bet money in church. <laughs> that there's a bunch of you in this room that are struggling with guilt right now. And so come back next week and let's talk about this. Look at Romans chapter 6. Verse 1 through verse number 4, let these words of the gospel pour over you. Romans chapter 6, verse number 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Verse 2 gives us a very emphatic answer. Of course not. Since... We have died to sin. That's what happens when you place your faith in Christ to receive him. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten? Oh, this is so important. See, the battle's here. Romans chapter 12 goes on to say that it's about a transforming of your mind. Some of you, your minds are tricking you, lying to you, and you don't know who you are. You've forgotten who you are right now. Maybe you've forgotten this, so let it get through your thick skull, what God has done for you, if he's done it for you. It says, or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death, for we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live, what does it say? New lives. New lives. Not the old way. Not the old me, but a transformed person. This may lead you to think, well, like, Kyle, are you up there telling me that, like, since you came to know Jesus as your Savior, you've never sinned since? I told you last week, because I got saved when I was young, that I have, and I've, yeah, I've thought about this heavily. It's totally true. I have sinned more since I got saved than before. That is weird to say out loud, but I'm just being honest with you. I got saved when I was seven. But am I to live my life just sinning so God can heap grace on me? No, if I've done that, I'm forgetting what I've gotten Jesus. I'm forgetting what he's done for me. I'm forgetting how he has changed and is changing me. And I've forgotten that now I am free to choose to do what he has led and created me to do. Some of you have forgotten who you are. There are times that you go to work and you forget that you're a child of God. How do we know this? You don't talk like a child of God. I mean, I could keep the scenarios coming. Where, when, when, listen. When I sin, when you sin, it's in those moments that we forget who we are. We just forget it, like spiritual amnesia, like sweeps over us. This moment, I want, I want an awakening of our minds to remember and know who we are in Christ. Because when we know who we are in Christ, and we experience His grace, His ongoing grace. He changes us. Don't forget who you are. Learn who you are. Some of you haven't fully learned who you are in Jesus. You prayed a prayer at a Bible school or at some event, and you're like, somebody told you, okay, you prayed that prayer, and now you're going to heaven. And all that you know, at least hope that you know, is that you're going to heaven, and you haven't learned fully who you are in Jesus. And you got to. You just have to. Um, we did a series uh, through the book of First John, I should have looked and made sure, it was last year I believe, it's called Illuminated, and uh, there's so much more on this in that series called, 1 First, uh, First John called Illuminated, if you want to think about this more and dwell on this more, and I want you to. And there's a lot of other good writings out there, but just, we want you to learn who you are, we want you to live like who you are. New lives, new purpose. We were saved for good works, not by good works. You, if you're a believer who's placed your faith in Christ and he has forgiven you because you've repented of your sin and you've trusted him as your savior, listen, he declares you his masterpiece. He says, I have made you and I've designed you for my purpose and my purpose is for good things. And so we get all that instruction and we get all that plan. We don't, as the birdhouse, say I'm going to be a doghouse we say to the master builder, you have made me. Whatever you declare me to be, I will be. And whatever you declare for me to do, I will do. You call me a masterpiece? Okay, I'm a masterpiece. What do you want this masterpiece to do? Because I'm yours. And I want to serve you and I want to do good, not to earn anything from you, but because I've received everything from you. And so today, if you're, if you're a believer, I want you to know that and I want you to live in that and I want you to dwell in that and breathe that in and become that. I want you to be like like solid in that. Like if you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never turned from your sin and turned to Jesus to be your savior, I want you to recognize that. I want you to receive him today and let him make you into the masterpiece that he wants you to be. This is big, guys. Like I told you a few weeks ago, we could talk about a lot of the topics and it's important, but like if we miss grace, I'll be more specific. <laughs> if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. And so this morning, he's here, he's present, he's trying to make himself clear to you through his word and through his truth and through his grace. And, man, we want you to experience him. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I uh, just want you to know that uh, we do. We want you to respond to Jesus. And, uh, man, you can respond right where you are. You don't have to move physically. Um, But if he's touching your heart, showing you something, revealing something, if you need to say something to him in response, we want you to do that. Um, If you're a believer and you're like, I just forgot who I was, and you need to say that and say, like, redeclare that over me again, God, so I can be who you want me to be, so I can become who you want me to become. You're the master builder. I'm the masterpiece. Take a moment and do that this morning. If you need to come down here and, like, get just away from your surroundings just a little bit and get on your knees and change your posture a little bit, we want to encourage you to do that. If you have questions this morning, maybe it's about who you are as a believer or just you want to be a believer. You want to experience this grace this woman experienced. And, you know, maybe you've done the kind of stuff she's done or worse or whatever. It doesn't make any difference. Like, all of us have sinned, right? And we all need this grace. There could be some incredible people in the back over here on the side. And, man, they'd love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love you, point you to more Scripture and encourage you toward Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning. We are so, so thankful for your grace. It is way too good for us to understand, describe, but we believe and we receive. And we say thank you. We say that you're great. We say that you're wonderful. Jesus, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. And we need you this morning. And Father, we want you to be the Lord and the Savior of all. There's people here today that are, needing you we want them to be rescued by you today as they place their faith in you and god may your people understand that you have declared you you have declared them as your masterpiece the master builder doing something amazing and you get to call the shots help us to have that attitude towards you this morning